You're listening to a sermon podcast from Paramount Church in Columbus, Ohio. To learn more, visit ParamountColumbus.com. Let me invite you to turn with me in your copy of God's Word to the sermon text this morning, which is in the book of Galatians, chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. You know, one of the things I hope that you notice when uh, we preach from the Bible on Sundays and, and teach at other times in ABF or YBF, one of the things that we really try to focus on is the daily Christian life. Because it can be easy for us to read the Bible, study the Bible, preach the Bible, and allow the Bible to kind of hover over life without actually getting down onto the street level. So what we're really aiming for as we work through books of the Bible or we preach through topical series every now and then in the year is we're really trying to bring the rich gospel truth of Scripture down to everyday life, to the daily way that we interact with the Lord and the way that we interact with each other. And that certainly is true today and in the book of Galatians. Because this is one of those places where we could, we could get caught up in all of the rich theology of our relationship with God, uh, the doctrine of, of what it means to believe in Him by grace and, uh, and to uh, rely upon the gospel rather than the law for just our conversion. But then we might miss out on how does this impact our daily life and how we live, how we think how we rely or rest where we rest our lives day in and day out. And so we really want to focus on that in our, in our church. And this morning, hopefully, will be another opportunity for us to do that. It's important for us to bring this truth down to daily life. Imagine it this way. Imagine if you were to get a really great job and your company offered to take care of everything for you as long as you were an employee there. Your company is going to provide all of the food that you need. Uh, the company is going to provide all of your travel and all of your expenses and uh, everything else, your clothes. Think about everything in your life. But the only catch is you can only use those benefits during an hour and a half on Sunday morning. That's the only time that you can use the clothes or use the rides or spend the money or eat the food. Well, of course, that wouldn't work, but that's, that's a little of what it's like in the Christian life sometimes. We can get caught in this routine where the church morning is the time that we really focus on truth, and then the rest of the week we kind of do this other thing. And so we want to focus this morning on what the gospel says to our daily lives, and in particular, how we relate to God. So let's look at three reasons as we pick up from last week's text, three reasons why something we've been reading about lately uh, doesn't work, and that is relying on the law or living by the law of God. I think it would be helpful for us because we're looking this morning at verses 10 through 14, just to jump back and catch the context of verses 1 through 9. You can do that in your copy of, of the Bible. It will not be on the screen. If um, you don't have your Bible open, you can look on with someone next to you. But let's cap capture these verses again because it will help us just keep in context what Paul's thought is about, uh, what Paul is thinking about in this passage this morning. So let's go back to Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. We have those really striking words. You foolish Galatians, who has cast a spell on you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ 
was publicly portrayed as crucified. I only want to learn this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by the Spirit, are you now finishing by the flesh? Did you experience so much for nothing if in fact it was for nothing? So then, does God give you the Spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law? Or is it by believing what you heard? Just like Abraham, who believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. For you know then that those who have faith, these are Abraham's sons. Now the scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and proclaim the gospel ahead of time to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed through you. Consequently, those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. So you capture from the context there that Paul's line of reasoning or his argument about the Christian life is that there is a distinction between the law on the one hand, the righteous expectations and requirements of God often thought about in terms of the Ten Commandments or the rest of the commands in the Bible, and the gospel, which is very different than the law. It's not a list of to-dos. It is actually a message to be heard. It's not a program to keep or a kind of life to live. It's actually an announcement and an announcement of good news, not about what we need to do or what we have done, but the gospel is an announcement of good news about what Jesus, the King of glory, has done as the Son of God who came into the world to live a perfect life in our place, to die on the cross in our place, and then to rise from the dead so that he could call sinners like us to himself by his Holy Spirit. And so Paul is setting out this clear distinction, and we're going to continue that this morning as we look at just these few next few verses. But we want to see three reasons why hoping in the law doesn't work. Now, this is something that absolutely connects with every person in this room, because every person in this room is absolutely a recovering legalist. Every person in this room has the law written on their hearts, and every person in this room is tempted regularly to rely on the law to give us those things that we want, those things that that tend to make us happy. Things like assurance, that everything is okay between us and God. Or hope, that everything is going to work out in my life because I'm the kind of person that keeps up with the law. And everybody knows that God pays off for law-keeping. Everyone in this room struggles with that. Everyone tends to think that way. And the gospel is an otherworldly message that calls us out of that kind of thinking and living, that kind of view of the law, to one which instead does not look to the law to save us, and it does not look to the law to keep us, and it does not look to the law to assure us, but it looks rather to the work of Jesus to empower us to do those things in the law to his glory because of what he's done for us with gratitude. And yet we have this struggle. So let's notice three reasons this morning why hoping in the law simply will not work. And maybe this can help us. I think every step and every, every word that we can gain from 
the scriptures about this is another advantage to us in the Christian life. And I pray that that will be true for all of us, myself included as well, because I need this as much as anybody. Here's the first reason that hoping in the law doesn't work. It's because relying on the law actually brings a curse. Notice what Paul says in verse 10. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Because it's written, everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. Now, one of the really counterintuitive for me, and maybe it's like this for you when you hear this, one of the really counterintuitive truths of the Bible is that the law is good, and it is, but the law brings bad news to people like us. That, that, doesn't make, that doesn't initially make sense to me because I think of good things having a good result or good things having good news attached to them. Uh, but rather, when we look at the law, the law being good, being this amazing revelation of God's character and what he expects and what he's like, actually brings something unexpected to us. It brings bad news. Now, the reason for that should be obvious to us It's because when we hear the expectations of the law, we realize we have not kept them. I've not kept any of them, not the way that God intends. In fact, that was one of the things that awakened me to the gospel was the bad news that I had not kept any of God's laws, none of them. Take the Ten Commandments. I had broken all of them in Jesus' eyes and the way Jesus thinks about the law and thinks about me. And therefore, this is a really strange thing to get our hearts around, that something so good as the revealed law of God can bring something so bad into my life, which Paul refers to here as actually a curse. The law is good, but it brings bad news. And so that's why Paul says it really clearly. Hear those words again. I'm going to read them slowly. I I need things read slowly to get it. Maybe you do too. Listen to this. All people, all people who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. They're under a judgment if they rely on the works of the law. Now, this is because the Bible says, and here's the passage that it's drawn from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 27, 26 says virtually the same thing. Cursed is anyone who does not put the words of this law into practice. Cursed or cursed is every person who does not put the words of this law into practice, who doesn't doesn't do them. It really is amazing how important this truth is in, in our lives and really in the lives of the world around us. Because I am always surprised in a way when I have evangelistic conversation with people that I, you know, I know are not Christians and they need to hear the gospel. And when I start talking with them about where their hope is and why they feel a kind of assurance that, that if they were to die and stand before God on a judgment day, that everything would go well, almost invariably, no matter who the person is, they say, because I'm a good person. Every person says that. 
But even when we then try to take a test and we look at, say, the Ten Commandments and we walk through the Ten Commandments and realize that we've all broken all of them, still something inside us says, but it's all going to be okay because I'm a good person. This truth about those who rely on the law being under a curse is one that is just hard to soak in. It's like our hearts are hardened against the idea that we could be saved any other way than our own doing. And it makes this truth especially important. So what Paul is insinuating here is that every single person, and that's every single person in this room, is guilty of breaking God's law. Now that should be a truth that we know well, but what we're trying to capture and what I think Paul is delivering is the very seriousness of the consequences of breaking God's law. That's the bad news. That every person who breaks his law, every person, how else could we put that? Who transgresses his commands, everyone who falls short of obeying him at any point whatsoever is under the curse of judgment and condemnation. Every person. No one escapes. No one escapes the all-seeing eye of the law. We see this in other places in Scripture laid out clearly for us, so it helps us to have these reminders. You know, you might remember Romans 3.23. You might even be able to quote this in your mind as I read it. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 1 John 1.8. If we say, quote, we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Ecclesiastes 7.20, there is certainly no righteous person on the earth who does good and never sins. Those are really striking, important words. They're striking and important for every person to hear, <clears throat> for Christians to hear, because we're getting at, as, as those of us who, have, who, who are relying on Christ as our Redeemer and our Rescuer and our salvation and hope, we need this reminder, because like I said, right, we're all pulled back in this direction of, of law-keeping and justifying ourselves. And it's also important because I anticipate God's answers to my prayers that every Sunday there should be at least someone here who is not a Christian, who is not relying on Christ, but relying on something else. And so this truth is important to those, to know that every single person has fallen short of the glory of God. Every person who can hear my voice right now is absolutely a sinner and is in need of redemption by Jesus Christ. Paul states this clear conclusion. Hear this clearly because this is what he's wanting to get across as paramount, of paramount importance. No one is justified before God by the law. Look at verse 11. He says these words, now it is clear. He's basically saying there's no question whatsoever. Because of what we know from God's law, because of what he has revealed to us in his word, we know without question, without a doubt, there is no disputing it. There's no arguing it. No one is justified. That means to be made right with God. That means to be found innocent before him and to be in his favor. No one 
is justified before God by the law, aka obeying commands. No one is justified because they obey the law. Because the righteous will live by faith. We'll see a little bit more of that statement in a moment because he's, he's telling us a different way of living. The righteous, those who actually are in God's favor and are justified, they don't live by the law, but instead they live by faith in what Jesus has done for them. So here it is. The righteous those who live wisely in faith do not live by the law. This is where it starts to land for those of us who are Christians. Because this is the question of how we're going to live in daily life. How are we going to interact with God and with each other and with the truth as people who want to live wisely in faith according to the gospel? It doesn't mean that righteous people don't obey the law. It means rather that they don't live and hope in the law. Put it another way. Those who are in the favor of God, those who are truly innocent before him, they have been rescued and redeemed and they belong to him. They are members of his kingdom and his covenant family. When living and thinking rightly, they don't think about the law as the means of their assurance, or as the ground of their righteousness, or the reason that God should do good things for them. They don't think about the law in that way. Actually, the opposite is true. Because Paul says that living by the law in that way will not only fall short of God's goods, his good gifts, and the favor that he will show us, but it actually will bring on you a curse, the ultimate curse of God's judgment. That's what happens when we rest our lives on the law. The law passes judgment on us because none of us have kept it, and the consequences of breaking the holy law of a holy God are extreme. That's why he uses the word curse, the word that's synonymous with, with judgment and condemnation. And it's not just any curse, it's the curse, the curse of God's judgment. Everyone is under the curse because of transgressions until he rescues us by grace. So you hear the real distinction there. You hear some, some really um, charged language here from the Bible today. And we want to take this to heart and think about it. I know it's hard. It's hard for me to wrestle through the concepts. And, and sometimes it's difficult for them to land where they need to. But the more that we are willing to engage the Lord with this truth, the more that it will help us in our everyday life. And so here's the first way that we should as Christians, uh, apply this truth to our lives on a daily basis. Here's what all of us need to do. We need to be ever-changing our reliance. To exchange reliance on the law for reliance on the gospel, on the good news of Jesus. 
so that we're not looking to the law to do the things that only Jesus could do for us and the things that only come to us through the announcement of good news that we have a Redeemer who lived, died, and rose again for us. And he carries us to the Father, not because of anything that we have done whatsoever. There's not one prayer. There's not one good deed. There's not one smile on a cloudy morning. There's nothing that we have done that will carry, that, that will carry us other than the grace of Jesus as a gift taking us as his own in spite of who we really are. It's a beautiful thing. It's a really challenging thing, right, to think about. But it is something of unending glory and beauty and satisfaction and joy. And we want to know it. We want to know more of it in our daily lives. So first, it does not work for us to rest our lives on law-keeping as the way that we will live the Christian life the way that we will relate to God. Here's the second reason. It's not only that relying on the law brings a curse, but listen to what else it brings. It brings a burden. Because living by the law requires something of us that we simply are not able to give. We never could give. And that is perfection. That's the second reason that resting or living by the law doesn't work. It requires perfection. Look at verse 12. We'll stick just here for a moment. He says, but the law is not based on faith. It's not based on relying on Christ. Instead, the one who does these things will or must live by them completely. So the burden of the law is in its exacting and relentless requirement. The law is so high and requires ultimate perfection in such a way that anyone who puts him herself under it as a yoke or as a master by which they hope to be saved or to have assurance in the Christian life will only receive a relentless burden. Notice what Paul says at the end of verse 12. The one who does these things will live by them. In other words, you can't do both. You can't live by grace and live by law. You can't hope in God's grace in the gospel, what Jesus has done for you, and hope and rest in the law. You cannot gain your assurance of God's favor in the gospel and in the law, and put those two things together. Because trusting in the law that way brings the exact opposite of what trusting in the gospel brings. It brings an incredible burden. If you rest your hope on faith, you will live by faith. By faith meaning Christ's work for you. If you rest your hope on Christ's work in the gospel, that will be the center and power of your life. In other words, you will then live every day out in a kind of gratitude and hope and joy 
for what Jesus has done for you. It will be the reason that you wake up in the morning. It will be the joy that you carry with you when you close your eyes at night. When you go through hard times and and you have temptations and trials and troubles, even when you struggle in sin, if you rest your life by faith on Jesus and what he has done for you, resting on his law keeping, which is given to you as a gift, then you will live your life out in the joy of knowing him in that way. That's one way to live. That's the way to live. That's the Christian life as it's presented to us in scripture and especially in the book of Galatians. But hear it again. If you and I hope on the law, we must live by the law. And the law requires exacting perfection. Therefore, if I rest my life on the law, my whole life will be under a burden because I'll be constantly having to keep up with the exacting perfection of all of the rules and commandments in order to know that everything is going to be okay. These are the two ways to live. It's a little bit, you know, when you think of two ways to live like I do, you might think of a fork in the road. And this passage is bringing us sort of to a fork in the road, right? Where you can go one way or you can go the other and you must make a choice. But here's what I want you to see. I want you to see something specific about this fork in the road. It's not a fork. It's a dead-end intersection that looks more like this. You see, when you have a fork in the road, you kind of have a way to get to roughly the same destination if you just split the difference and go up the middle. That's the way that we tend to live. That's the way that I tend to live. I have this tendency to live by the gospel and live by the law and try to put them together. And when things aren't going well for me, I kind of ramp up my good deeds because I think maybe that will get me a little more favor and, you know, get me over the hump with God. And then, then things will settle out and it'll be okay. And, and some kind of like Christian karma thing will work out and my life will get better. That's splitting the difference. But notice there's no such thing because it's not a fork. It's actually a dead end intersection. You can't split the middle, split the difference. You have to go one way or the other and they go in opposite directions. What Paul is encouraging us to do in our daily Christian life is to choose grace, is to choose the life lived by faith, and not to rely on the law to do what only Christ and the gospel can do, but rather to rely all that we have on Jesus and his good works given to us as a gift, as the assurance and the basis of our life and our salvation and all the rest. So remember this this morning. The law, when you rest your life on it, will always bring a burden because your best efforts will never be enough. If you find yourself in daily life, like sometimes I do, living by a law, There's some bar that's right up above you and you keep having to to reach up to it. And there's all kinds of them right there. We have laws imposed on us uh, by ourselves in relation to God that I need to do certain things to stay in his favor. Or you may do this with people. I need to keep rising up so that I can stay in the favor and people think I'm cool in my relationships. But the one thing that you notice is the bar always moves. 
it always gets higher and higher and higher, and you can never reach it. That's why the law brings this burden. The very work of relying on the law itself is actually a transgression of God's will. Is it God's will that you live that way? Is it God's will that you live under a set of laws by which you, in which you look for your hope and your satisfaction and your joy in life? It is not, that is not God's will. Therefore, the very act of doing that is yet another way that we're going astray. But here's the good news. Jesus offers us a better way. You've heard this passage before, even recently, Matthew, 28, uh, uh, Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. Hear again these incredible words. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened. You see, all of you who are weary and burdened. He knows that there are many people living this way, feeling this way. And he welcomes those of us who do. He says, I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and will and you will find rest for your souls. There's another real distinction there between the two ways. Take the yoke of the law on you, and you will find burden and hardship. Take the yoke of Christ upon you, and you will find rest for your souls. He says, my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. That's an amazing truth. It's an amazing truth. Because what Jesus is saying is, Hitch yourself to me like cattle in a field. Take on yourself this yoke. He is bringing us together with him, and I will give you rest. How is that possible? How can you take a yoke on yourself and yet have rest? It's because Jesus does all of the heavy lifting. And yet the beauty of it, the the marvel of it, is that he invites us into it with him, that we're actually with him, we're united with him in the midst of this Christian life. It would be like a, like a parent and a child maybe working on something like a birdhouse. And they go into the backyard with all the pieces and, and the dad or mom holds the kid's hand with the hammer and nails in all of the nails. They welcome their children into the process. But in the end, it's not the children that have made the birdhouse. It's actually the parent. The parent has done all of the work and all of the gathering and all of the precision. And this is what Jesus, as our faithful older brother, has done, is he has come to us, he has brought us to himself, and he has done all of the heavy lifting for us. I don't know how else to put it. I hope, and I know this isn't true for everyone, but I hope that as you hear these words from this passage I hope that you are feeling an appropriate kind of comfort and relief. You should be. I hope that you would feel a kind of comfort and relief that would be so enticing to you that you would think even this week, how can I live by grace and by faith instead of by the law? That you might even be more in tune and be interested in being more in tune with the way that that sometimes you and I are living by the law. Sometimes we do it so naturally that we don't even know it's happening. 
if that's something that you hope to do, I want to give you some help that's helped me. And I'm just going to share with you uh, is in this way of help, nine symptoms. Here are nine ways that you can, you can get a sense of when this kind of law living as a Christian is taking root in your life on a daily basis. Here they are. They'll be on the screen, and, um, and we'll also work through them briefly here in the time that we have. Here's first. The first symptom is, of course, something that we're familiar with. It's this term, legalism. That, as we've been talking, is when we become excessively focused on obeying kind of the religious rules and regulations, even to the neglect or the detriment of God's love and grace toward us in Christ, where the law rises above the gospel and it becomes my central focus. I have the gospel down here as this other thing that, that kind of uh, makes me feel like I'm doing the Christian thing, but really the way I'm living is I'm living by law. Number two, when you see in your heart growing up this kind of perfectionism that is natural to the recovering legalistic way is another symptom that this is taking root in the, the inner working of my heart and life as I relate to God and to other people. This, you can recognize, you feel this constant pressure to be perfect, and then you feel guilty or you feel inadequate when you fall even the little, the, the smallest amount short. Three, you might find in yourself this kind of judgmental attitude that grows out of this kind of relationship to God's law. You might be quick to judge other people. You look at their behavior or you look at their spirituality. And one of the first things that comes out of you or me in these moments is some kind of critique of them, of, of a reminder of why I'm so thankful I'm not like that person because that's not the kind of thing I say. I say better stuff than that. That's not the kind of thing I do. Pff, I know better than that. It's that kind of attitude. That's what is coming up out of our sinful hearts when this approach to life takes over. We also feel the self-reliance. We rely on our own efforts and our good works to earn God's favor rather than this better way that Jesus shares with us, which is trusting in God's grace through faith in Christ. Here's the next symptom, fear of punishment. You might go through much of your day this low-grade sense that punishment is coming, that I'm not quite reaching up to the bar, and therefore, uh, I don't know, one of these days, God's really going to get me. I'm going to just kind of push him over the edge, and he's going to snap, and then here comes the punishment, and you might live in this ongoing fear of punishment. This can be, it's not always the case, because there are lots of things that tend to steal away our joy, as we say. But this can be one of them. Because living under the burden of the law is not joyful. It's not a happy place to be. It's a crushing, defeated place to be. Under an anvil of thousands of pounds of, of expectations and commandments that we are not keeping. Therefore, we lose our deepest sense of joy and peace and contentment in our faith. 
You might find, here's another symptom, this should be number seven, religious rituals. The recovering legalist is tempted to go back into a life that assures itself or tries to clear the conscience by doing religious rituals. Sometimes, I admit, sometimes my own Bible reading, my own prayers become that. I find myself reading the Bible not because I want to know God, but because I want to reach the bar. I want to check it off, do the ritual, and move on with my day. It's that kind of thinking. And when it's put that way, I see how ugly it is, but in the moment, I don't. Or hypocrisy, number eight. There might be a kind of facade of righteousness in our life. We put up this kind of screen or veil of righteousness to to hide away what we know is there, but we're not really willing to, to admit it. And then finally, it can be, and not in every case, because there are lots of burdens on us in life, not just the burden of the law, but it can be that some of our stress and some of our sense of of burnout and running out of gas is because living by the law is exhausting. It's, It's endless. When you go to sleep, you have not measured up, and when you wake up, you still haven't measured up. It's, it's, it's exhausting. But as we think about our life in this way, and perhaps if we become more in tune, maybe we can see a little more of that, and maybe we can recognize some more of those signs in our hearts that will then motivate us to turn to Christ and to turn to the gospel. So the final truth of why this doesn't work, this kind of living by the law, is actually something that Jesus has done. And it's simultaneously the very hope that we have and the reason that we want to pursue him and that we want to be in tune with these things in our lives. And here's the last truth. Jesus became a curse to redeem us from this curse. That's the third and last reason this morning why living by the law doesn't work. Because Jesus is the one who became a curse for us. Notice what he says in verse 13. Christ redeemed us. I love this about the Apostle Paul. He has been delivering some some difficult, hard truth. But he is always peppering in over and over again the reminder that there is hope and there is good news in Christ. He is brightening our outlook over and over again by showing us why the gospel is better and superior to the law. And here is one, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. You hear this, you hear this echo back into the beginning of chapter three where he says, you foolish Galatians, Who has cast a spell on you? Are you so foolish that you began by the Spirit, but now you're trying to finish by works of the flesh? It's echoing back because he wants them to be reminded that they have been redeemed from this way of living. They're not resigned to this lifestyle spiritually. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He says, because it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree 
This is the good news. This is at the center of the gospel. Again, counterintuitive truth that comes from some other world. Jesus became a curse to redeem us from the curse. Paul says that Jesus accomplished his redemptive work by becoming a curse. Again, looking back to Deuteronomy 21, it says this, if anyone is found guilty of any offense deserving the death penalty and is executed and you hang his body on a tree, you're not to leave his corpse on the tree overnight or to bury him that day for anyone hung on a tree is under God's curse. You must not defile the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, but the main point is anyone hung on a tree is under God's curse. Isn't that strange? We don't normally in this world think about that kind of exchange. That's not natural to the way that we think. Think about it this way. In our movies, in our books, in our stories, Usually, heroes show up with some kind of invincibility by which they redeem the person or save the person in need. Jesus has done, in a way, the complete opposite of that. He has come into the world to redeem us from this curse, not by simply plucking us out of it or by moving it out of the way, but by becoming it and becoming it for us. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, he, God, the Father, made the one, Jesus, who did not know sin, listen to this, to be sin for us. He made him who knew no sin to become sin so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Now, of course, that does not mean, we know from the rest of Scripture, it does not mean that Jesus became um, a personally a sinner as though he had transgressed God's law. He hadn't. He fulfilled the law. But rather that he came with such an embodiment of grace and rescue that he became the very problem we had so that he would remove it from us. Jesus became a curse so that you would not be under the curse anymore, ever again. That's deep. I hope you're hearing that. And I hope that you're hearing that because I want you to think for a moment before we bring this time of our service to a close, I want you to think about something and think about it really hard. All right, if Jesus came and he did, it became a curse so that you wouldn't be under the curse. That is the curse of the law. I want you to think about what then does relying on the law in your daily life to do what only Christ could do for you and did says about him. Does it make him beautiful? Does it make Jesus beautiful to become the curse for me so that I'm no longer living under the curse and then in my daily life I live under the curse and I give myself right back to the same master that I had before which was a burden and a crushing defeat every day? It doesn't make him beautiful. What makes him beautiful 
is resting our lives upon him and making his grace and his mercy the central song, the song of our lives and the way that we, we fight for joy and hope and assurance in him every day. It would be like this. Imagine some horrible thing happens and you're lost at sea. You're out in the middle of the ocean, floating around, treading water, and there's absolutely zero hope that you're going to survive. There's no one around for hundreds of miles, no one. And here you are, your energy is giving out, you can't keep your head above water, all of the waves are churning, and you're just, you're just paddling away and weakening and weakening and weakening. And just as you, as you drop below the surface of the water, in comes some Coast Guard helicopter and they lower down and they snatch you out of the water and they take you away. This brave person has gone to great dangerous lengths to come down and rescue you from the situation from which you could never save yourself and he's come in and taken you away despite all of your efforts to, to keep yourself above the water. He becomes your rescuer. And then once you get back to land and you get back in shape and all the news wants to talk to you, that all you talk about in the news is how much you tread water. Or you go around and go on a speaking circuit around to churches and schools and you tell your story. But the main feature of your presentation everywhere you go is a two-hour long water treading uh, exercise so that you can show everybody how good you are at treading water. That's, that's what I'm doing. And it doesn't make Jesus beautiful, right? This is what we need in our lives. This is what I need in my life. So remember this, relying on the law in this way as a burden, rather than as an expression of our gratitude to God for saving us and for giving us grace, is bad for you. It's not good for you. It's not spiritually healthy. It's not helpful. It's not, en it's not enlivening. It's also demeaning to Christ, right? That's what we've just considered. It's demeaning to what Christ has done for us for me to live this way in daily life. And last, let's remember this as well, it's not helpful for other people. It's not helpful for the rest of us in here, for us all to be, to be treading water and churning away at the Christian life uh, as though we do it all by law and works. That's not helpful to anyone else, is it? What do we need from each other? We need the constant reminder and the constant interaction of the gospel in our relationships, in our daily life, in the example that we set for each other. We want to be that kind of church. We want to be that kind of people. God is up to this incredible task. And the world needs to see this as well. We want to be 2 Corinthians 2 type ambassadors, which we read just a little bit earlier the few verses before, it talks about Jesus being made sin for us. It says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, and to, and to be so by, by grace. So let's think about how we can live this way in the coming days more and more and more. And if you're here with us this morning and you're not a Christian and you've been hearing this truth of the gospel over and over again, we pray that you keep hearing it, that you keep coming to hear it and attend community group to hear it and, and get to know other people in our church and even our pastors would love to talk with you so that we can talk more about what it means to follow Jesus by grace, through faith, 
to the glory of God and to the joy of our souls. I want to invite you to stand now as you're able, as I pray and we prepare our hearts to sing again. And I want to encourage you to take these difficult, deep truths into our singing. Keep them on your heart and mind. Wrestle with the truth of what it means to walk by faith in the Christian life, not walking by law, even as we sing uh, for the rest of our time. Father, we pray that you would give illumination to these truths. Uh, We pray that you would help us to better understand and to recognize the ways in which our lives are lived with a kind of reliance on the law that replaces Jesus so that we, we live out our hope and we live out our assurance and uh, we, we live out our, our routine by checking off the law or by resting in the law, relying on our works. And we pray that you would replace that reliance with a reliance on Jesus, one that is bright and easy and light and that you would give us rest for our souls uh, because we need that and it will... Um, Help us to love you and serve you all the more. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.